Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. But were the Bucks bailed out by Jerome Boger, right? Who, you know, threw the flag. It was what was awkward about it was that it took him too long, right, Luke? He kind of thought about it, talked to the other official. Then you see Tom kind of come in, weighing in. He's like, you, you guys are throwing the flag, right, right, Jerome? No, I'm just, a, I'm just being a fly on the wall. I don't know what they're saying. But Jerome Boger took way too long to make the decision to stick with that flag, knowing that it was going to decide the game, basically. It was going to end it right there. Oh, man, Jerome Boger, you can't throw that flag. You know you can't do it. You can see it all over his face in real time. He knew he couldn't throw that flag, but he did. Big talking point across the league this week. We'll be getting to that here in just a little bit. But first and foremost, it's the Bucks Wire podcast. It's great to have you with us. You could support our cause by support. Uh, you could support our cause by subscribing to the pod. That's at no cost to you. Just hit subscribe. We're right there, popping up on your phone every week. If you do that, all season long, talking Tom Brady, talking all things Bucks, bracing and hoping for another Super Bowl run. Right? It sounds like a pretty good deal to me, doesn't it, Luke? It does. It does, man. And honestly, I think it's been, you know, a little bit rough going at some, some points this season so far, but it feels a good bit like 2020, right? Where, you know, Tom Brady's working in some, some new pieces. He was the, he was one of them that time, you know, back in 2020, but you know, some, some growing pains, some rough edges, they got to smooth out, but uh, I think they'll figure things out down the stretch and, and there's no team I'd rather be betting on, you know, in November, December, January than uh, the one that Tom Brady's running. Well, that's Luke Easterling right there of USA Today's USA Today's Bucks Wire. I'm Ryan O'Leary playing host. And yeah, let's get right into it, Luke. That kind of ties into where I wanted to start for the show uh, this week. You know, I'm not a huge power rankings guy. Uh, you know, I saw the article from Touchdown Wire that was posted on Bucks Wire, so I was checking it out. I'm like, where are the Bucks ranked right now on Touchdown Wire and their power rankings? I'm, I'm wondering, right? Number four, number four behind only the Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles. And it's like, that's surprising to me because I'm not going to argue it. But this doesn't feel like a top four football team right now, does it? Like the Bucks, like they're 20th in the league in yards per play. They're 22nd in, in points per play, which which is a stat that they were really good in last year. They were third in the NFL in points per play in 2021. Just shows you how efficient and, and how many points they were putting on the board. It's just not happening this year. As you wrote, Luke, we really haven't seen them put four good quarters together, right? Hasn't been really consistent in any phase. You know, each phase of the the for the Bucks have had their uh, inconsistencies. They basically tried to let the Falcons come back and, and make that a real ball game at the end, right? I don't think anybody, any of us were comfortable when the Falcons hit that two-point conversion to go down by six. So what do you think, Luke? Are the Bucks still that team? Are they still top four? Are they still legit Super Bowl contenders? Or are teams that are kind of on the come in the NFC, the Eagles are 5-0, and right? The Vikings with their new coach, Kevin O'Connell, are 4-1. Are and one. The Cowboys are winning without Dak Prescott, winning with unbelievable defense, right? Are some of these teams on the come in the NFC kind of in the same tier now? Are they catching the Bucks? What do you think? You know, I think if you take these first five weeks on their own, I think you can probably say that, that yes, those other teams are, are catching and maybe even eclipsing the Bucks. But I think the reason you're, gonna, you're still going to find them top four, top five in a lot of power rankings right now is because Everybody is still banking on what this team is capable of. There's so many moving parts already, and, and they're missing certain key guys that this team hasn't 
put together four quarters because they haven't had the, the 53, the 46, the, the 22 that they want at all times on the field. It's somebody's been out, somebody's been hurt, and it just hasn't come together for them. So I think the reason you're still seeing the Bucks in that top five is because, yes, we haven't seen all three phases play four quarters together, but the defense has played some quarters that look like the best defense in the league. The offense has played some quarters where you're feeling like, okay, this is the offense. Everybody's getting healthy. Brady's spinning it. He's throwing it all over the place. He's making, We're making plays. Lenny's catching the ball out of the backfield. He's running people over. This is the offense we're seeing. You're seeing very consistent play from the kicking game in Ryan Suckup, which has been really an unheralded part of the, the team's success when they have been winning this year. And you've seen some moments out of the punting game as well with the rookie Jay Camarda, the fourth-round pick. So there have been these flashes where you're like, man, Everything is there like we thought it was for this team. If they could just put it all together for four quarters, nobody can beat them. And I think when you put Tom Brady as the cherry on top of all that, his team is always going to get the benefit of the doubt that they're going to figure things out. And that was true in 2020. I think it's going to be true again this year, and I think that's why you're still seeing them ranked that high. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see them outside the top five in many power rankings. And they are sitting there at three and two, right? Three and two. So it's not like they're four and one or, or with some of the other teams. So they're, they're still getting that respect. I think we're all waiting to see that thing come together. Um, at least they pulled out the win against Atlanta, Luke, because it was looking a little, like I said earlier, a little hairy at the end. Huh? <laughs> it was getting a little uncomfortable there. And uh, it, it was definitely uncomfortable as soon as we all saw Grady Jarrett put that sack on Brady. We thought, oh boy, the Falcons are going to get the ball back. They have all this momentum. They're only down by six now. This is not good. This is not good. But were the Bucks bailed out by Jerome Boger, right? Who, you know, threw the flag. It was, what was awkward about it? was that it took him too long, right, Luke? He kind of thought about it, talked to the other official. Then you see Tom kind of come in, weighing in. He's like, you, you guys are throwing the flag, right, Right, Jerome? No, I'm just, a, I'm just being a fly on the wall. I don't know what they were saying. But Jerome Boger took way too long to make the decision to stick with that flag, knowing that it was going to decide the game, basically. It was going to end it right there. What do you think about that, Luke? People are very upset uh, that Jerome Boger made this call. People are upset about a lot of officiating across the league, right? And there was other bad calls in this game we could talk about. But that call, deciding the football game, big talking point this week. What do you think? Were the Bucks bailed out? Yeah, absolutely. A terrible call. Terrible call. Um, you know, I think any Bucks fan that can remove themselves from the fandom long enough in a vacuum, take their logos off the helmets and take the, you know, there's just no way that was roughing the Packers. Terrible. And if it is, there's a lot of work the league needs to be doing uh, to, to fix that. Because that's just, that's a football play. That's a sack. There's nothing wrong with it. I think you could tell Bucks players' reactions to it after the game, the little tongue-in-cheek, like, hey, I don't throw the penalty flags. Or, eh, well, you know, I'm, that's just the way it is sometimes. The, like, everybody knew. Everybody knew that that was a BS call. But like you said, if you look at that whole game, that crew had a rough day. I, I mean, there were calls that were terrible. There were no calls that were just as terrible. There was the, the, the sequence at the end, towards the end of the half, where – Brady was trying to catch the, the Falcons in a substitution and the, the, uh, one of the officials is standing over the ball like they do to, to keep the offense from snapping until they can sub. And Brady is literally trying to explain to the official the rules of the game. That was the moment to me where I was like, man, this officiating crew just doesn't know what they're doing. And it's, it's just inexcusable at that level, the highest level of the game, to have the players trying to educate the officials on the rules is just ridiculous. So it, you know, the roughing the passer felt like a makeup call to me because on the play before that, for the second time in the game, Scotty Miller had beaten his guy very deep and Brady chucked it to him. The first one was kind of iffy. You could you could say that maybe that wasn't pass interference because the guy turned his head around. 
But the one that happened on the play before the Jarrett call was painfully obvious. I mean, he obliterated Scotty Miller, knocked him out of bounds. Miller still caught the ball, but he was out of bounds, which Falcons fans are saying is proof that it was uncatchable. But if you go look at any pass that goes towards the sideline, if someone doesn't catch it, it's going to go out of bounds. That's a ridiculous criticism of that play. But, I mean, there was the holding call on A.J. Terrell earlier in the drive that moved the chains for the Bucks, which Falcons fans said was a, you know, a ticky-tack call. I think it was I think it was a hold, but I – there are so many moments in this game. There were hits on both quarterbacks in this game that were way worse than what Grady Jarrett got called for <laughs> yes. with the game on the line that just were let go. So I just, again, you can argue about each individual call and the, and the impact it had on the game. And obviously that's the one we're going to remember the most. But Boger and his crew just had a really, really bad day. And I don't think it's the first time it's happened this year even. Um, and it's definitely, I think, now that it seems things are tr- you know, starting to maybe get figured out on the concussion protocol side, I think the biggest threat to the product on the N- that the NFL is putting out right now is that the, the, the officiating is just awful. Yeah, and, and these 15-yard penalties that just decide games or extend huge drives, they just got to stop when, when it's the wrong, like the Chris Jones, I mean, the best thing that could happen to, to Bucks fans that were annoyed about this getting so much pub was the Chris Jones play, right? Yep. Uh, in that uh, Chiefs Raiders game, when when that was even worse, I think if you, you put them side by side, everyone's saying that the Chris Jones call uh, was worse when he you know strip sacked the quarterback, had the football, and landed on the quarterback, and that was roughing the passer. The, the quarterback no longer had the ball, and it's roughing the passer, Luke. So yeah, they they got to they got to figure it out. Uh, Brady weighed in on his podcast. Uh, and I thought this was funny, right? Because Brady will do this. He'll give you a little something with the way he words things, I think, Luke. And he said that uh, Grady gave him an unwelcomed hug. So he called the hit a hug. So I don't know. I just kind of found that funny from Brady. I think he's kind of telling us that, yeah, it wasn't that bad a hit. Uh, I don't think that was egregious, guys. He gave me an unwelcomed hug, uh, a long unwelcomed hu- hug. But folks memeing up Brady on social media, complaining at all, oh, Brady this, Brady that, this is why you won, you got Brady, he's he's a baby, he gets all the calls. Well, guys, hey, he was available to everyone in 2020. Luke, your team could have had Tom Brady, and you probably would have won a Super Bowl by now, by the way. And yes, you're not allowed to touch Tom. I mean, you can, but you, know, you, you, you better be careful when you do. You never know. Tom Brady's one of those guys. Is Marcus Mariota going to get that call? Absolutely not. We all know that, right? We all know. That's just human nature. It's Tom Brady. He is, he's the guy. So, yeah, sometimes you're going to get a call. I mean, Brady doesn't get every single freaking call. He doesn't. But he does work the refs, Luke. He's been doing it forever, right? And sometimes that's an advantage for you. Sometimes you're going to get a call if you have that guy. Now, Tom Brady was available to the whole league. The Bucks signed him. So, good job, Bucks. That's an advantage you have when you have Tom Brady. Sometimes you get a call. So, deal with it. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I agree with that to an extent. But, honestly, this feels like more of a myth than anything like I feel like there are there's one or two calls every now and then that because they happen in like key moments of the game people just jump onto this narrative they're like oh that's just it's just the Brady effect that's what it is if you actually look at the numbers especially since Brady came to Tampa Bay he has he's been like middle of the pack at best in terms of drawing roughing the passer calls and the Bucks have thrown the ball a lot since Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay so it's not for lack of opportunity so I think it's Matt Ryan that actually leads the league in in in, uh, in roughing the passer calls over the last you know however long. Um, but it's just, so in terms of frequency, it's just not something that happens as often as I think people think it does. And maybe it's just the fact that when it does happen, it seems to be in these critical moments that that makes sure that his team wins. I, I don't know if maybe that's what contributes to it, but yeah, you won't see me. 
this is how I feel every time one of those new reports comes out. You know, Tom was definitely going to sign with us until X, Y, or Z happened. You know, he definitely had an agreement. He was going to come here until he found out that the ice cream man's name was Bob instead of Jim. And then that definitely <laughs> changed his mind. Like all these ridiculous stories that come out. We've heard about the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Raiders. and God knows what the next one's going to be. Where it's like, oh, you know, and people try to use that to dunk on Bucks fans. Like, you were their fourth choice. They're like, yeah, and y'all idiots let him get all the way to four. Thank <laughs> exactly. you very much for that. We are not going to cry our way to uh, to the trophy case on that one. So, um, again, you know, whether it's true or not, Bucks fans probably don't care at this point. They're the ones who won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. They're the ones who won the game on Sunday. And you're not going to see any of them apologizing for it. Absolutely not. Did you did you catch the segment on Get Up though, where they did the the thing where I think it was Ryan Clark where they had the blanket and the pillow and they said this is how you have to hit Tom Brady now. I thought that was. Pretty I didn't fun. see that. But okay. that's hilarious. Folks are trying to look that up. It was it was pretty good. I got to chuckle. I'm a big Tom Brady fan, obviously, and uh, I got to chuckle out of that. Uh, speaking of Brady, before we move on here, Luke, uh, he bought a pickleball team. So I know my father-in-law and mother-in-law are going to be very excited because this is all we do when, when we're buying presents for them around Christmas is get them the pickleball equipment. This is all they do now. Pickleball's huge, um, especially with uh, you know the plus. Uh, I don't want to uh, no ageism lawsuit coming at me here, Luke. But the plus, you know, the you know older older folk, I, I should say, are really into the pickleball. So Tom Brady is now he's investing in this in this thing. That was going to be what I was going to say, because I'm going to steal uh, Greg Almond's joke. My, my, my buddy from The Athletic, who said that Tom's probably just really excited to uh, be a part of an athletic uh, <laughs> franchise where he's the youngest guy. In the that's um, good. Yeah. And so uh, I, I thought, think that's probably what's driving this. I thought you were going to say he's now getting towards pickleball age. So it's like maybe he's going to move on to pickleball right after football, you know? I mean, he's closer to pickleball age than he is <laughs> yeah. half of his teammates. I he think is. he's older than Scotty Miller's dad, so... He is, man. I, I got this picnic. These new is a school right near my house, and they redid. They had tennis courts. They redid it. They 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 put in these pickleball courts. I'm telling you, Luke. The people on like a Saturday morning, wave, they're there. Wave the future, baby. They're there at like 7 a.m. They have their set times. They're all the traffic is flowing to that school, and you just hear the paddles clicking, clicking, clicking all morning. People love their freaking pickleball, man. They really do. So, all right, coming up next, I got three questions for Luke. We're gonna hit on a few different topics, including the Steelers. Should we worry about Buck Steelers at all? Is this a walk in the park? We'll get into all that here coming up next, but first, let's set our fantasy lineups. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number six. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith versus the Arizona Cardinals. We have officially reached Let Geno Cook territory after the journeyman tossed three touchdowns in a Week 5 loss to the New Orleans Saints. Over the past three games, Smith has averaged 304 yards passing, and he has thrown seven touchdowns against just one interception. While the Cardinals have played better since a woeful Week 1, they will present a stiffer challenge than the likes of the Lions or the Saints. Nevertheless, ride the hot hand. Smith has a pretty good matchup overall and is a decent bet for 250-plus yards and at least two touchdowns. Washington Commanders running back Brian Robinson at the Chicago Bears. On one hand, it was a fantastic sight to witness Robinson return from his offseason gunshot wounds to lead the backfield in carries and yardage. On the other hand, those numbers were nine attempts for 22 yards, and he had no role in the receiving game. Chicago has allowed the fifth most rushing yards on the second most carries, and the position has scored four times through five weeks. Since it's unlikely Chicago's offense can put up enough points to force a pass-heavy script, Robinson is shaping up to be a quality play on the ground. Wide receiver Darnell Mooney versus the Washington Commanders. Mooney is a low-volume 
fantasy option and he's better utilized in non-PPR settings. This matchup aligns perfectly with that profile too as the commanders have done a decent job of limiting catches but have allowed big plays along the way. This is the number one matchup in fantasy points per touch, number two for yards per reception, number five for yardage generated, and number three for the ease of scoring among wideouts. If Mooney cannot make some noise in this one, He's barely worthy of a roster spot going forward. Cleveland Browns tight end David Njoku versus the New England Patriots. After a slow start to 2022, Njoku has emerged as one of the stronger fantasy plays in the last three weeks, particularly in PPR scoring. He has no fewer than five catches for 73 yards in any of those last three games, and this week he faces one of the more favorable opponents for his position. New England has allowed a touchdown per game on average to tight ends, but that's really about where the success has ended for all but Mark Andrews after he posted two scores in 89 yards. The next closest performance is four catches, 22 yards on a touchdown. But the Patriots will focus extensive attention to both the backfield and Amari Cooper, freeing up Njoku across the middle to move the chain. Don't expect a huge game, but something around 50 yards on a touchdown is certainly well within reach. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back. Here's three questions of the week for Luke. And let's just get right into it, Luke. Here's question number one. Uh, obviously, the, one of the big stories around the NFL right now uh, is the Panthers firing Matt Rule, among others. Baker Mayfield is now injured for them. He's going to be out for a few weeks. Christian McCaffrey's already popping up in trade rumors. Brace yourselves, folks. If the Bills go and get Christian McCaffrey, look out. If Buffalo Bills adds that guy at running back, whoa. Uh, but, you know, this looks like a, a fire sale, a tank, some, whatever you want to say with the Panthers, right? They're hitting the reset button. Uh, but they're going to need a coach. Are the Bucks about to lose their offensive coordinator, Luke, right? Byron Leftwich. I know he wants to become a head coach. That's the next step in his career. I'm sure he's also very focused on these final years of Brady and trying to go for another Super Bowl with the Bucks, right? Would he want to move within the NFC South, knowing how tough this division is, how tough these games are, uh, and, and go up against his old team? Like, that's kind of interesting as well. Like, what do you think? Is this a good fit for Byron? Do you think he'd want to be in on it? You know, his name's getting thrown around. Sean Payton's name's getting thrown around for this job. What do you think? Well, I mean, the Sean Payton thing is hilarious to me because he's under contract next year. So the, Pan- the Saints would have to trade him to the Panthers. Yes, so I, yes. I really don't see that happening within the division. I don't think the Saints signing up for that. Um, Great point. But, you know, Leftwich is an interesting one because, you know, you thought he'd get his bite last year, right? And still, nothing. You know, and then again, that leads to both being the head coach once things kind of settled there. But you you still feel like Leftwich. I mean, Leftwich is super young. He's younger than Brady, obviously. Um, so it's not like he he's you know aging out of the the hiring process here or anything. But I do feel like the, the time is kind of the the iron has been hot throughout the Brady years. And assuming this is the last of them, this might be his best chance to get a job. And again, there's only 32 of them. Um, so I, I don't know how picky he can be this time around after things didn't work out with the Jacksonville thing. And not that I don't think he was wise to kind of be skeptical again, if it's true that he was kind of interested, but if only if he could bring his own GM and then that kind of fell apart, we heard a little bit, you know, some rumors about that. If that's true, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Um, but again, I, I think, 
and I could I could launch into a, a bigger conversation about how how much I don't think the NFL knows what it's doing when it picks head coaches. I think people are way too interested in picking play callers and not leaders, you know, not CEOs, not guys who know how to run a team instead of just call, you know, a good game on Sunday and put together a game plan. Denver There's Broncos. a lot more to it Denver than Broncos. that. Yeah, seriously, man. I mean, man, the Broncos, we could do a whole segment Holy on, crap. on the Broncos. Yeah, I hope swinging we, do we play them? I would... only hiring Hackett for Rodgers and then not getting Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I, I feel like that was mm-hmm. definitely what happened there. and That's biting them very badly right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it won't surprise me if Leftwich gets a job because he's long deserved it. Uh, he, he's deserved a chance more so than I think a lot of candidates who have gotten that chance already, in my opinion. But if he doesn't, you know, I, I think Buck, there's a lot of Bucks fans that are kind of frustrated with the way he's called plays at times, but can't really argue with the results. Um, this team has had the most success they've ever had on offense. And a lot of people will point to Brady, uh, but Leftwich is a huge part of that, I think. So. I won't be sad if he stays. Uh, I won't be sad if he goes because he deserves an opportunity. I really hope it's not within the division because I don't want to have to root against him that hard. Um, but uh, but we'll see what the Panthers are able to attract. I don't think it should be a fire sale there. I think there's some guys that make sense to move, but they've got some young pieces on defense, Brian Burns and, and Jeremy Chin. They've got DJ Moore on offense. Those guys need to be a part of the next next wave. If I'm a head coach and I'm, I'm interviewing for you, I don't want those guys gone. I want those guys in the building because I want to win some games. So we'll see. Yeah, and they just gave DJ Moore a contract too, right? So, I mean... Yeah, you know, like that doesn't make sense to me. Nope, it doesn't. So, yeah, interesting there. I would love to see Leftwich get a shot at a head coach. He's not close to his pickleball age yet, right? He's got plenty of football left in him, uh, Luke, <laughs> as we could say. Uh, all right, question number two. I'm really fascinated about what you're going to say about this. So, many have made the argument that analytics are ruining baseball, right? I know you're a baseball fan. You know, in baseball, you know, you can argue that analytics stripping away the excitement, narrowing the game to those three true outcomes, home run, walk, strikeout. But are analytics in all these crazy decisions we're seeing coaches make ruining or actually spicing up football, Luke? Like we saw the Falcons go for two and hit it to go down six instead of seven against the Bucks. Uh, when they did that, that was kind of scary, right? Because they were only down six all of a sudden. As, and as a fan, you're watching, you're like, oh, no, like, don't give them the ball back now. Uh, the Chiefs tried to go for two to make it a two-score game against the Raiders on Monday night. They failed, so it stayed seven. And then a failed two-point conversion by uh, Josh McDaniels and the Raiders ended up being the difference in the one-point loss, right? We're seeing all kinds of crazy stuff. That Browns-Chargers game was insane. We could get to that one as well. John Harbaugh of the Ravens, Luke, he basically admits that whatever the, the sheet tells him to do, he just does. He goes based on the analytics. He'll he'll go for two or whatever, go for a fourth down. Usually he doesn't get it. I don't, I don't can't remember when that's worked out for John Harbaugh. So often, Luke, these decisions backfire in hysterical fashion, but sometimes they do get you on the edge of your seat, right? Like when a team's going for two right at the end to try to win it in regulation, right? So has analytics gone too far in the NFL or do you think it's uh, it, it's just right? What do you think? The way I've always felt about this, and, and one of my problems with this thing is that, particularly with the way these games are called on, on networks and, and in real time, you just you hear that word thrown out there, analytics, with no like explanation whatsoever. There's no exposition on the word or the situation or why the analytics would tell you to do that. There's no like actual analysis of what's happening. They just say the word analytics as if it's supposed to be this catch all for whatever is happening on the screen without actually educating the viewers about what's going on. So that part of it frustrates me. But, you know, the way I've always felt about analytics and their place in sports is that 
it's the same. It's the same. I feel like with so many other advancements in the game in terms of you know preparation and technology and, and research and all these things. Whereas they're all very useful tools to a certain degree because they can help you. They can help you win. They can help you you do your job better. But once they once you allow them to move beyond that usefulness and and take up too much of that pie, you know what I mean. That's where I think teams get into trouble. And so at the end of the day, man, this is a human game. It is played by human beings um, and, and these intangible, you know, incalculable forces that we have, momentum and energy, you know, within the stadium and the situation of the game and all these things that are having. There has got to be some human common sense in some of these situations that I just don't feel like. And, and part one of those calls is the the Ravens going for it on fourth and goal despite having an opportunity to kick a field goal to go up three against Buffalo and yep. then you know the Bills going out and winning that game that one and the Brandon Staley thing going forward with the lead in, in your own territory like there are these moments where I kind of point towards again no disrespect to pro football focus and what they do but there was a game like three or four years ago where they just got railed because Aaron Rodgers threw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns and got like a negative grade or something, uh, some like really low, terrible grade despite having such a big game. And everybody just lost it. And I know they've tried to explain that, like, listen, we're not analyzing results. We're analyzing what that player did based on what we think could have happened or what he was supposed to do. And I, I get it. It's a different thing. But, like, there does feel like at some point if you have a process and this is something that I've encountered in my in my draft work, you know, when I've tried to have these rigid processes and grading processes for guys that if they spit out a result that just doesn't make sense, it doesn't pass the eye test, it doesn't, to my human instincts, go, this is what I should do here in this situation. For me to ignore all of those, like, red flags as a human being that come up in my almost intuition that tells me, don't listen to the computer here. You know this moment in this situation because you've been in this situation as a human being. You know what the better decision is here. Don't, you know, throw the sheet out the window here. If you're unable to do that, I feel like you miss out on, on a lot of what makes the game great. So, you know, yes, I think it can make the game exciting in certain situations, but I do think there are moments where humanity and instinct has to override what you're seeing on, on, from your formulas. And, and again, they just always have to be used as a tool to be helpful, but not the end all and be all. And I, I think when we see those decisions go the other way and the pendulum swings too far the other way, I think that's where they can be. It can be detrimental. Yeah, it's a really good take on it. Like you mentioned Brandon Staley. So just to like go back to what Luke is talking about here, the Chargers were up two on the Browns with 114 to play on their own 46 with fourth and one. And they went for it. <laughs> they went for it, Luke. And they missed it. And the Browns got the ball back on the Chargers 46 down two. They only gained 10 yards. So fortunately for Staley, his defense held there and made it a tough field goal. And the Browns missed the 54-yard field goal. So this did not come back to bite him. But it should have, right? Because what are you freaking doing? As Keenan Allen tweeted, who was home with a hamstring injury or something, he was inactive and he was home. He tweeted, what the F are we doing? And then he deleted the tweet, right? So uh, yeah, I think in some cases, these these coaches are getting a little dorky with their analytics sheet. And yes, it's gone a little too far, but give me the go for two, like the Brian Dayball with the Giants thing against the Titans in week one. Give me that. Like, give me the go for two for the win. Like, I love that. I'll get up for that every time. I think that's awesome, especially when you're, you bring in like 
betting and sports betting and all the different ways it can affect people. It's kind of fun when those moments right. come, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What a dork, Brandon Staley. What are you freaking doing? I agree with Keenan Allen. You should not have deleted that tweet, Keenan. All right. Question <laughs> number three, Luke. Uh, the Bucks are playing Pittsburgh. We're going to get into the spread. They're big favorites on the road. I mean, you would never expect to see this number going to Pittsburgh with that organization. The Steelers have not had a losing record in 18 years, uh, but right now they're one and four and they're trending that way. A lot going on with the Steelers. They do not look like a good football team. They just got blasted by the Bills, 38 to three. But the Bucks also aren't looking great, Luke. We were just talking about that in the first segment. So what what would have to happen for the Bucks to lose this ballgame in Pittsburgh? What happens on Tampa Bay's side, I guess, uh, for them to have to, for, if this thing goes wrong in Pittsburgh, what happens? I think for it to go wrong, it has to start with the Bucks missing some some key players to, to injury, which could happen again this week. Keen Hicks uh, is probably still going to be out. Logan Ryan, uh, Todd Bowles already said that he's probably going to be out this week again. They had some injuries that piled up towards the end of the game last week. They lost two of their top three corners in Carlton Davis and, and Sean Murphy Bunting to injury, and they didn't come back. They lost Mike Edwards on that last drive, and he didn't come back. Um, not sure the availability of those guys. So if they go into this game banged up, you know, Julio Jones didn't play on Sunday. Um, so depending on how, how healthy they are up front or, or on offense, at least, you know, if they go into that game banged up, it's not great, obviously. But if it, on the field, the two guys that I think could be a problem for them when they have the ball um, is, is Cam Hayward and, and Minka Fitzpatrick. And I think we'll get to those guys in a little bit, too. But those those two guys provide what Tom Brady has been frustrated by in the past, which is interior pressure and Jalen Ramsey, Tyron Matthew, either of the safeties that have given him trouble in New Orleans over the last couple of years. You know, when there's a, a versatile playmaker like Mika Fitzpatrick on the back end who can just kind of read Brady and read situations and know where he likes to go, he, he does great in terms of his film work and his preparation, so he's going to be digging deep into Brady's tendencies. You know, if he gets pressure and he gets hit and banged up a bit from, from Hayward and, and he makes some decisions that Mika Fitzpatrick can take advantage of and, and have a couple turnovers there, and and on the other side of the ball, the Bucks have given up a buck fifty on the ground in each of the last two games, and, that, and five yards a carry to both the Falcons and the Chiefs. If the Steelers can do anything close to that and get some turnovers on defense, it could be a lot closer than a lot of people think. All right. Well, the spread is very much in the Bucks' favor. We're going to talk about the spread and get a little bit deeper into the analysis of this ball game here coming up next. All right, I keep teasing this, Luke. People on the edge of their seats. How much are the Bucks favored by in Pittsburgh? It's seven and a half. Seven and a half. Uh, I mean, just a wild spread on paper when you when you think about the Bucks are going to Pittsburgh to face that operation, which you know under Mike Tomlin has done nothing but be in it in the AFC. Right? They they very rarely uh, are they a bad football team, but right now they they might be bad. Right? They might be bad. They're one and four. They lost to the Jets a couple weeks ago. They just got blasted by the Bills. Blasted. Uh, Mike Tomlin said smashed, right? They got smashed by the Bills. They've handed the reins over to Kenny Pickett, who I'm excited to watch Kenny Pickett in this ballgame. I think Bucks fans will enjoy it too. He is a fiery guy. You might be able to tell us a little bit about Kenny Pickett, right? The first quarterback drafted last year. Uh, but the Steelers' O-line is awful. I know the Steelers' fan base can't stand the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, the defense is obviously not the same without T.J. Watt wrecking havoc. Yeah, Cam Hayward and Minka Fitzpatrick are, are amazing players, and uh, there's no there's no denying that. But that defense loses something without T.J. Watt. He is the engine. He's their yeah, best. Yeah, he's player. a little bit important. Yeah, I would say. I would say just go watch the film from Week One, uh, Bengals Steelers, and you'll see. I mean, that was ridiculous. 
So, I mean, the Steelers have, have not been playing good football. It's going the wrong direction, Luke. Uh, so it feels like a game where you want to pick the Bucks, but it's hard to back seven and a half points on the road, isn't it? What do you, what do you think about that line? Yeah, it's always tough, right? And again, this is there's all the reasons that the Bucks should win this game. And again, if you if you see all the you know the little logos at the bottom of the the analyst picks, right? When they all turn one color, you know you're in trouble, right? <laughs> yes, something's going to go point. wrong. It yep. feels like one of those games, right? Um, but yeah, going to Pittsburgh, playing a team that's gonna that, that's gonna fight and really has nothing to lose, obviously. Um, I, I love Kenny Pickett. I thought he was the perfect quarterback for the Steelers. He wasn't the top quarterback on my on my board overall, but in terms of the fit for the Steelers, I think he was a great pick. Again, this guy who played at Pitt, he played his home games in college in that same stadium. Um, so the the fan base already loves him. You see the fiery personality. I think he yes. just he fits that the personality of that team. And I think that he's going to find success there, and that that fan base is really going to embrace him as their franchise quarterback. I'm excited to see him grow there. Um. But yeah, you know, I could see a, a two-score win for the Bucks, but it's hard for me to put money on it just because of again all the things I said that could go wrong for this team. The Bucks are still trying to figure things out. Um, three straight home games. They're going to go back out on the road here, which again they won their first two games to start the year back. You know, back-to-back road trips to Dallas and New Orleans. So those are tough. I think they'll win the game, but I would not put money on it being a blowout. Um, and I'll be pleasantly surprised if I'm wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. It, the Bucks just haven't looked right as we've talked about, so it's it is it gives you a little bit of pause. But I think the Steelers are so banged up. I think they're banged up in the secondary as well, so they might be patching over uh, patching that secondary up. You know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. You know, they the Bucks should have their way. I expect them to win this game by like ten, something like that, fourteen. I don't think it'll be like thirty eight to three like like last week because you know I mean I guess Luke, if we're gonna finally see the Bucks score like. You know, if you look if you look back at the other games, right, 19, 20, 12, 21, those are the the points the Bucks scored aside for that Chiefs game when they scored some garbage time touchdown, right? Uh, or yeah, can we gar- get like points. a Lions game? Can we get a Lions <laughs> game here where there's like 31 nothing at halftime or something? Seriously, yeah, a 30 burger would be nice, right? Before the fourth quarter, like let's put this would be the time to do it. The the Steelers are banged up. I just don't trust we're going to see that. So yeah, I think if I was if I had to bet the game, I'd put like one unit on the Bucks to cover. I'm not I don't trust the Steelers at all. I think the Bucks are gonna win by like ten or fourteen. That's that's kind of where I'm at with the game. But yeah, it, it'd be nice to see a thirty burger. Let's this is the time to do it. Let's go. Yeah, I, I, I'm calling a, a maybe a one score game until the final drive and the Bucks get like a scoop and score or a pick six or something from a from a desperation throw from from Pickett towards the end there that make it look uh, more dominant than it was for most of the game. That's that's what I see. Well, that's Luke Easterling right there of the Bucks Wire. What's going on in the Bucks Wire the rest of the week, Luke? Just previewing this game, pretty much hammering it. Yeah, yeah, we've got all uh, everything you need. Uh, we do matchups and storylines every week. We'll obviously have the injury reports every day, tracking tracking all the big injuries. Uh, and if Tom Brady decides to buy a water polo team, <laughs> uh, we'll have we'll have that for you as well. Only in Florida would you find water polo. I think they do have high school water polo in uh, in Florida, right? So yeah, you know, yeah, that might be next pickleball and then water polo. Who who knows what's next? So, uh, good stuff as always for Luke. I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us again. Hit subscribe. Let people know about the pod if you like it. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today Sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates. 
The latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle Podcast. Inside the Weekly Line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.